It's time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And we're here tonight to talk about the seventh episode of HBO's Westworld, the one with the French name. It looks like Trompe Loyal. It is French for deceive the eye. And it also relates to a style of art where I guess they create the impression that the person in the art piece is coming out of the canvas. So they show an example online of um, there's like a Norman Rockwell where like the boy is like, like climbing out of the, the frame. frame. Yeah. Boy, that seems very appropriate for this episode as everyone seemed to be deceiving us. Let's start with William and Dolores, what they're up to this week. They're still on this very romantic train trip. Somehow they upgraded from the potato wagon car to the car with guns on the walls and look like a wet bar and maybe like a hot tub over in the corner. <laughs> it was very posh. It was very romantic, very sex on a train, sass. Yeah. So their relationship certainly kicked it up a notch in this one. They, you know... Went to another level, as they say. They went to the level, in my opinion, at this point. They have decided that they are going to be on each other's adventures here. And they both had a lot of exposition where they were explaining how they're just feeling so different these days. And their lives before were so meaningless. The big fat difference is that Dolores keeps saying like she feels like she's searching for this thing out there that she just is it's like calling to her out there. William, on the other hand, is like, it's all you, baby. My <laughs> life was nothing without you. You unlocked it all for me. Oh, my God. And then Dolores is responsive like, I'm not a key. Oh, William needs to hear her words and know that he is a lot more in love with her than she is with him. That's what you got from the uh, I'm not a key. Uh, this is like she's not that into you, bro. Like <laughs> she definitely needs him as a buddy and stuff. But there's nothing about what she said that was anything about I'm so in love with you. You are the key to my future. It was all like I do kind of need you, but I have a future and I'm moving on to this other situation. So you're in the, the camp that believes that she's sort of playing old William. I don't want to say playing. I want to say that they both had their reasons for coming on this adventure to begin with. And she's sticking true to like, I have always wanted to get to this destination in my mind here. I think I know where I'm going and I'm going on this journey. He, on the other hand, hasn't really known what his journey looks like. He's just kind of found one along the way and been like, that's it. That's the journey. Basically. And then now has decided like she was his journey because it seems like he's saying like, you know, this is this is it. This is what I've been looking for. This. And, you know, he's not like saying like this Westworld adventure. He seems to be like being like mm, this in the back of the storage car with you. <laughs> this is what right. I've been looking for. On this potato pile. <laughs> exactly. That was very Titanic. No, when they're when they're in the car and they're like all with the baggage minus the chase but yeah it was it was the impromptu sex scene in the storage car of like the crazy moving vessel gotta be careful when you're wearing gun belts if you're gonna be you know going at it impromptu like that i think there should be like a safety certification 
that you need to carry firearms and have sex at the same time. Yeah, that's like the advanced class. Definitely advanced class. <laughs> so I felt like that both of our characters moved forward here, but I can start to see those who believe that the man in black is William. I can start to see how it's very possible that he is going to get completely heartbroken here and he's going to have this rage when he finally has this realization that he threw something away. We don't know how much of his life away. He threw something away on this very fictitious life mm -hmm. and that he was kind of duped into this entire situation. Do you and think he's at all aware of the irony of saying he's going to stop pretending, which kind of means... Maybe he's been pretending to like Logan. He's been pretending to like his job. He's been pretending to like his wife, maybe. Fiance. And fiance. But instead, he's pulling for a romance with a robot. It does make me feel like he's lost his grasp on reality and what is real. I can imagine in the Westworld universe that happens all the time where they start to forget what is real and what is fantasy and what isn't. And if you're going to go all in, I guess at some point, everybody's got to lose themselves enough to go for it and really pull the trigger or really have sex with the saloon girl or whatever. You, well, you you've know, got to give in. In. That uh, spa area that, that Sizemore was at last week, mm -hmm. that is the Delos uh, readjustment area. Right. So that's where you're supposed to go after you've had your adventure and you've had this bout with like, what is reality? And you come back and you're supposed to, I guess, get your mind back into the real world and who you're going home to and all those things. They probably even give you like whatever the reverse of an orientation is like a some amount of like get you get a grip like right, you're going like, back to regular life it's like killing and there's like a line through it <laughs> right like just a reminder right. folks we don't do the following in the real world pouring not as much <laughs> nice i definitely think that he has lost his grip and he is head over heels for her Love is very powerful, and I can see where this is going to get very dicey for him really fast. So they've uh, also been really telegraphing the, this is probably the man in black at this point. They're saying the same stuff. The, this place has a, has a truer meaning, a deeper meaning if you're willing to search for it. And they're, they're kind of saying the same stuff. Oh, at this yeah, point. definitely. That part where Man in Black has told us that he wants to read the last page of the book. He's like read everything else. And then in this episode, William said, like, when I was a child, all I had was books. And I just wanted to get lost in the pages of the books and stuff. I definitely feel like they are showing us those are like bookends of the situation. This is like his first chapter of the book. And if Man in Black is definitely him, then we're seeing how does this end up for him? A lot of people have been saying, why would the man in black drag Dolores around by the hair? And more than that, that part where right before he pulled her by her hair, he like slaps her, punches her in the face a yeah. bunch of times. That was like more jarring. And when you think about their love affair right at this moment and you think back or watch that episode again, it's really upsetting. Like if that's William, how could he ever do that to her? That's the part where you have to let the reality sink in again and say like, okay, remember, he's falling in love in a fictitious robot story. And later, he's 
already over it. And somehow he's understanding these are all just pawns in the game. I just have to move the chess pieces along here. And she's just another piece. And it's uncomfortable for us because we were getting to know Dolores as a person. But I feel like some of this has to be like a humiliation to him that he would have fallen in love with a bunch mm. of plastic, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it is humiliating, I think, in a lot of ways that he would have tried to have a life with a fake thing, right? It's <laughs> right. like it's like I'm married to my vacuum cleaner or something, you know, and I'm like, don't talk to Mr. Buttles like that. We like, spent a lot of money on that vacuum cleaner. <laughs> exactly. And you're kind of like, at some point, when he has this realization that she's not real, you're not going to have a family with her, you're not going to settle down here in Westworld, I feel like the humiliation is going to wash over him and it's going to be bad. We've talked about it before, but this is a lot like if you could somehow watch the best parts of the Star Wars prequels along with the older movies. So you get Darth Vader and young Anakin all at the same time. Because you have the same dilemma of, okay, here's this bad guy that just goes around killing people at will. How did he get there? And it's being told at the same time, which the Star Wars did with some success with, with the prequels, but is being done, I think, really well here. I just, I hope it pays off here. But, I, but so far, the storytelling has been so great that I, I don't really have any doubt that it will. I think that if William is the man in black, and if everybody figured that out from the get-go, then... When you're watching, I think the anticipation of the moment when he's going to snap and realize this is not not pretending this is a fantasy land. I think that there's something to that that's actually very rewarding as the audience member because the majority of the time, the writer of the story enjoys pulling that bait and switch at the last minute so that they kind of knew it was coming the whole time and they kind of get the excitement of watching all of us build. And then when it gets pulled out from under us, they're like, ha ha, you know, bait and switch. And this time we're like, we already know, we already know I, this I, isn't going to work out. So it's like just waiting for it to not work out. I think that that moment is going to be one that maybe people will love or they'll hate, but this is my guess. She's just going to reset one morning and she's going to be like, hi, what's your name? And, and he's going to be like, uh, William, and she, and she will not remember any of the adventure that they just had. And that, that would be the rip his heart out catalyst. Moment. Yeah, because that would echo what he said in the in the first episode. And he's like, I've been coming here for 30 years and you still don't remember me. That the way that he phrased it made it sound like the remembering was the a sticking kick in, point. Kick yeah. In the guts. Yeah. And it could be as absolutely calm as that, as just waking up in bed together and she had reset and she suddenly doesn't remember him at all. No, it seems anticlimactic, but I think it it's very calm. It's, effective. it's it's a very calm situation. And and it could go that way. And it could actually be much bigger than that, where mm -hmm. where Dolores or any it's of the blown apart. <laughs> well, or Dolores or any of the other hosts actually are like, We're not human idiot. You know, like actually it be more graphic in his face that she's not human. Do you think that this climax, this moment, this switch is gonna happen by this? end of the season here we only have three episodes left will this be like number 10 or are we going to go into season two with them still like running off like newlyweds a i think that we're going to end on a cliffhanger so yes i think that that reveal will happen by the end of this season but it's not going to be tied up in a bow where we're going to be like oh okay good i think it's going to be then it's going to be like she falls off a cliff or you know something that is going to make us want to watch next season 
they haven't teased very much about it. it. It's only been renewed just this week, you know, so. Yeah, and it doesn't come out, if you guys don't aren't paying attention, it doesn't come out till 2018. Yikes, that feels like forever and ever. If you think about HBO's scheduling and how they had to push back Game of Thrones, and that is the king <laughs> show on HBO right now. I bet everything just all the other dominoes had to follow after that in terms of production costs and, and when they can make things and, and all that. All that had to get just pushed. And I bet Game of Thrones is the uh, is the cause. I feel like it's going to be a very long time, but I look forward to exactly when this whole William Dolores thing is going to come to a, a smacking point, because I think it's going to be really dramatic even if it's only dramatic emotionally and not, like you said, like a big blow up or anything, but it's just that I think realization. I think it's got to be this bright burning love story. And that means it's got to be short. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know? So so you think it's going to be like intense for like the next two episodes yep. and then number three is going to be like, yeah, starting to get weird. Yeah. This isn't Pam and Jim from the office. They don't get to write off in the sunset, you know? This is scorched earth afterwards. You know? Oh, I, yes. Yes. I think it's going to be terrible afterwards. Speaking of some other characters who are feeling a little burned, we have Maeve who, wow, the net result of her story this episode was mind-numbingly wow for her. She's feeling her new powers, basically. She had her... <laughs> musicians say you turn it up to 11 <laughs> when the dial only goes up to 10 that's kind of what they did to her brain power mm -hmm. you know she's starting to feel the influence of the loops on her and what she does in a day and you can tell that she hates it when she walked over to the player piano and slammed it shut I was like, oh, wow, this is a whole new Maeve here for sure. Because all the other hosts are like, I like that song. You know, it's sort of like everything is awesome in Legoland, you exactly. know? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Maeve's like, not again, not today, uh-uh. Yeah, no, and even the part where she starts to talk to Clem and she starts almost unconsciously going into that script of, I told you not to put your mouth open, blah, blah. And then she kind of furrows her brow like, what in the world made me say that? I mm -hmm. didn't think those thoughts. It just came blurting out of my mouth. And then she goes off script and starts being like, tell me about yourself, Clem. Like, what's your freaking story here, girl? It's almost like, uh, what's what do they call it these days? The idea of being present in the moment, having to think about what you're doing rather than going in autopilot. It's like she's having that little epiphany, her little Oprah her aha Oprah. moment <laughs> right there in the whorehouse. Right, where she's like, you know what? How do I feel right now? Am I breathing? How did my breaths feel? Yeah. Exactly. No, I'm with you. And I think it showed even more when they are talking and she does really delve into Clem's background. And this had the, that terrible haunting feeling that you get when you're on a reality show and you're watching and they start to tell the backstory really deep of one of the characters mm -hmm. and you're kind of early on and i always look at you and say oh man that's right. when they're voting off this week because it's like on the, the voice when like i've been singing since i was six and then my father lost his legs and yeah. you know that's the one voted out that week because they can only tell the story as so long as they're on the show and so they have to <laughs> they have to dump the story in because they're not going to be in the rest of the episodes talking to clem and getting this whole backstory we know even if clem the robot or clem the character is going to come back in some sort of other iteration clem as we know her 
is about to go. Mm-hmm. We know this is going to happen. So when they call freeze to everybody and everyone freezes except Maeve. So has she now somehow lifted herself above the voice commands where she doesn't have to listen to that? Maybe the command that freezes everybody looks for a certain flag in all of the hosts that says eligible for freezing, something like that. And maybe among the things that they reset is something similar to that that says, no, not eligible for freezing. So that as we learned this week, there are hosts that are programmed to act like humans and be read as humans. So freezing, unless you had maybe the super freeze, the God freeze or whatever, they would not be read as human because they freeze with the other hosts. Okay, so there is something in the programming where we think that that can get flipped. And so are we guessing that Felix or Sylvester flipped that for her? Yes, maybe when they turned her intelligence up or something. But basically, yes, that's my guess. Okay, and so then when they come in and she has to like stay still and she has to be aware that they're taking Clem away. Uh, did you think they were coming for Maeve in that moment? I was doofully uh, manipulated into believing, yes, that since she had been logging in the extra visits and all that kind of stuff and the previous conversation with Hale and Cullen made it sound like they needed to find some sort of aberrant behavior type host or something like that, I thought, yeah. And they even cut the camera directly to Maeve after yeah, that conversation. So- They twisted my brain and I fell for it. It was funny. I felt like I was paying attention to so many other things in that very second that I actually didn't get to have that moment where I was like, are they picking Maeve? So when they grabbed Clementine, I was like, oh, oh, okay, it's Clem. This is what's happening. I did not know what they were going to do with her. Did you think that they were going to do this whole presentation with her? Or did you think they were just simply going to destroy her? I didn't know the details, but from the previous conversation with Colin and Hale and all that blood sacrifice business, I had some suspicion that someone would have to get killed and then get buried and Clem would have to prove this point. Freaky. Maeve, unfortunately, has to witness the point that Cullen and Hale are trying to make with their presentation and it seems like it just absolutely numbs her out. And the fallout of Clem getting the lobotomy moment was heartbreaking i actually thought as an actress i didn't find her terribly beautiful the entire time i don't find any of them in that saloon makeup to be attractive i don't know why but when she was just her more natural self and the blood started trickling out of her nose like she was really beautiful and it was like a shame like you could appreciate the like this is just a travesty that this had to happen I felt like watching Maeve's reaction to Sylvester's procedure was so sad and having her go back and have like their butcher little shirt like over her shoulders like a cape like it was like her shock blanket after everything. Oh my god. Terrible. I did read an article with the Nolans on this. They basically said that the procedure was definitely you already mentioned to lobotomy and that's what you would basically do to a human if you wanted to completely erase their personality that procedure like disconnects the frontal lobe from the rest of the brain and that's the effect they can still do things but they don't have any personality anymore and that is what they did to her in that article they admit that they're pretty much like humans and they teased that they'll go into more of that next season big point is The Clem that we knew is definitely gone. 
Yeah, and I do think that Clem, the robot Clem, will come back as something. I don't know what yet. I don't know if they're going to send her to cold storage now or if they will try to do something with her. I'm not sure, but I don't think that this actress and robot form is going to go away forever. I, I do think she's going to come to play. Maybe, hopefully on Team Maeve, I would love to hope. So Maeve in this moment decides that enough is enough. Maybe it's like if you saw the entire process of what happens with making the host and now she's actually witnessed the entire process of taking them out and basically killing them. She is just processing all of that and like, you know what? Not happening to this girl, not this girl. And I'm a little surprised, a little, a wee bit surprised that she doesn't say something like, we need to save them all mm. or we need to do something. They turned her loyalty down. That's true. I guess I thought the loyalty was to Delos, but I guess you're right. It would also be to like her fellow whatever yeah, the was, bartender I think it was a blanket whomever. category yeah but it just, it seemed like some part of me since she was still playing this part of this madam and everything like she had like girls and stuff sort of under her care it seems like just a, just a small percentage of me said like boy i'm a little bummed that Maeve wasn't like everyone deserves a better life than this like she was just like me i'm out i'm done with this situation she's like a person visiting the sausage factory becoming a vegan <laughs> that's so freaky i i thought of the exact term sausage factory like once you see how the sausage is made you don't ever want to be involved with it so yeah i i find it to be the same exact feeling the response from sylvester and felix felix goes i'm almost like in shock himself this entire episode i swear he had like one line which was like slow down i think that was it i don't think he spoke other than that this entire episode was like a freak fest for him but sylvester really tries to explain to her like listen to me not only do i think you've lost your ever-loving mind but everything in this place including the skin on your back is designed to keep you here okay that is very interesting because we could have that moment where we're going to see like her skin like peel off of her body. Like the skin's going to run back behind the boundary <laughs> line, right? Like she'll continue forward, but somehow her skin's going to not go. What do you make of this? Ford and Delos, both for their own reasons, would have created a situation where there would be a boundary that not only could a host not escape, but also they would be wanting to protect the code so vehemently that no one like, I don't know, stuck a small host child in their suitcase or something, that they would make sure that in no form could the code get out. Given all that, what do you think is in place that could keep well, them there? In that same article I just mentioned, Jonathan Nolan said, I don't think they're in the American Southwest. <laughs> he said, he said, I think it's meant to look like it, but I don't think they are, which is kind of interesting for the producer and writer of the show to say, I, I'm not sure, but we know that he knows. Of course. So where does that leave us? Things that come to my mind are, and to some of our listeners that have written to us have said, maybe it's a space station. Right. Like Paul Rabinowitz, right? Yeah. Paul, he totally said maybe space station or another planet. No, he was he, th he was thinking space station. And then that that made me think, well, maybe Mars would already have a very desolate ground. You know, terraforming that wouldn't be as hard as making it like a lush garden, you know, or maybe a moon kind of thing. So I'm thinking like domes that are basically going to show nice sky and and all that kind of stuff. And if you go far enough, kind of like the Truman Show, you'll <laughs> you'll run into the to the edge of the, the world. 
I think there's that element. And then, and I think that there's basically like how dogs have those collars for the invisible fence. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think what Sylvester was telling her is, is that her body is going to act like that, where if she tries to get away, I don't think it's going to disable her. I think it's going to cremate her because mm-hmm. one way or the other, if a host has gotten that far out of bounds, then the company either should consider them on a rampage of some kind or they're being stolen. And either way, they're a danger to the company or other people, and they're better off turning into dust. So you think it's just like an implosion situation? Yeah. Is there any scenario that we can come up with that she can leave? Can she fake to be a guest in some way? Can she get something further and further away? Or is that just such nonsense? Like, there's just no way at the end of the day that she can ever get out of here. Now, see, if she had better loyalty or something, she might be able to convince a disciple to take that first step. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right, right. (laughs) And see how it goes before she uh, commits herself. Because otherwise, I'm thinking things like stuff that software can do, like transfer from one body to another or copy yourself or something like that since there's no theological problems with the consciousness transfer of a host from one body to another you know where you're like well that's not really the same person right no it it probably would be the same person you know because it's just software copying that's the kind of stuff i go to right but even still that's still a host leaving the park so it's, so even a host-to-host transfer or anything doesn't allow a free host to take off, you know? I think she's so, smart enough to want to send a canary down the <laughs> cavern, you know what I mean? I agree with you. I, maybe that's where Clem will come into play. I don't know. Because maybe she'll be able to convince her. Maybe there will be some inkling back in her brain of like, I do know Maeve. And we did have some something together. Because even if her personality has gone, if her entire processing unit and stuff is still there, maybe there's still you some... You could tell her... Walk down this hall (laughs) or whatever they find, you know? True. Very, very true. Well, and we don't really have any sense of how they check people back in. We saw the checking into Westworld, but how do they check people back out into the either the Mesa area or like then from Mesa out to the real world? We haven't seen any of that stuff. So maybe we'll get a chance to maybe see some of that process and maybe then we can try to guess like how would Maeve possibly navigate Mm -hmm. that system. But at this point, we don't have any idea how they get back home. If it just is like they almost like drug them and they just wake up in their bed like and nobody knows how they get back home. See, that's what makes me think not a space station and probably more like a terraformed planet is because they've got this monorail thing that comes in, you know, so that just makes it seem like the... Uh, I guess if they can do the stuff that we've already seen them do, then why would the scale of a gigantic space station seem so undoable? But it just, I don't know, for me, it seems more like a planet. Would, a pre-existing planetoid body would be an easier place to make all that stuff. And do we think that it's got to be that big? Like, does it have to be outer space? Can can we still be on Earth and this still be an amazing story? Could we be somehow underground and doing all this? Could we be, is there any other scenario where we're still on Earth And this is still a very unique situation they've created. Well, as you've pointed out, we have no idea when this is taking place in time, such as why does the Ford family wear Mary Poppins era Englishmen's wear? You know, why would that be? Is it just fashion just looped over again to like Quakers again at some point in the future? I don't know, because even, but if you look at even Ford himself, like he has a pocket watch and all that silliness. Yes. We're accepting that as like current watchers because we're like, oh, he's an old man. Maybe he's hearkening back to when he was young. When he was young, 
we are older than he is if this is in the future. So then his childhood would have taken place like say in like 2050 or something like that. But it's Mm -hmm. our future is his childhood. Mm -hmm. So it does feel a little like, why would it look the same? And I assume that's why like the old wild west is like so fascinating to the tourists because this would have been hundreds of years ago and there would be no reference to it within your own family tree or anything like that so the fact that he does dress like that and then again has this family who supposedly is dressed just like they were when he was a child i don't get that at all it doesn't make any sense so timing wise you're right we don't know where we are in time or space really physical space could it be elsewhere on earth yeah sure but I'm Australia. <laughs> you know, we already had the producer say, I, I don't think it's in the American Southwest. Well, Australia's a, a decent guess. Yeah. I mean, got some of the right looking topographical features, you know. Oh, well, and it's an island. So you kind of have like that, that natural perimeter. Yeah. Yeah. So Maeve is resolved, though, by the end of this episode that she is gonna go leaving this world wherever yeah. she's at. And so I'm really looking forward to. Like you said, figuring out, is she going to try to use a canary down the tunnel or is she going to go this on her own? Is she going to try to move her consciousness into somebody else? Is she going to still utilize all that she's learned so far about these loops and try to do it within Westworld or try to do it through HQ? Because those are like two different places. So is she going to try to escape headquarters or is she going to try to escape Sweetwater? Mm-hmm. which is like two different places and two different scenarios. Like, could she hop on the train and somehow go back where Teddy comes from? Oh, I don't yeah. know where it goes. Yeah, because it seems like with the rapidity that she's dying so that she can come back to HQ, I think she has had it with Westworld. Like, it's used up for her. Bravo to her in that she's actually figured out how to get out of, quote unquote, Westworld because she you knows how to hang out in HQ now. Yeah. Nobody ever seems to be like, hey, where the right. hell is the madam? Right. What? The Mariposa has been running for two days with nobody right. here. Like nobody ever seems to be yelling why she's not back out on the floor. So she has like, been Did I see Maeve at the lunch table today? <laughs> no crap. Like, <laughs> I don't want to make any trouble, but it seems like she's at the salad bar. <laughs> right. <laughs> they have like a pube guard at the salad bar. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of pube bar, we get to meet Hale in a very uncomfortable meeting with Cullen. Boy, was that uncomfortable. I almost never have meetings at work right after having sex. Oh, no, mid-sex, where you just like dismount, come over nude and be like, come on in. No, no, I'm not busy at all. If I was Cullen, I swear to God, you couldn't have drugged me in there. I'd be like, nope, nope, not coming in. Nah. Nah, I'll come back later. No, no, you like I see, like you couldn't, you couldn't, you would have to grab me by the arm and pull me in there because when I saw this setup, I'd be like, yeah, no, my mom's calling me. What, like, oh, what? You need me? Oh, I got. I'm sorry. There's no freaking way I'm going in with your nude body with Hector tied up over She's there. She's nude. She was in the middle of an act, and Cullen must know that Hale wields far more power than Cullen can imagine. So she says, we're having this meeting now in my robe. In my robe. Start off just in my nakedness, and then I'll robe up. I don't know if this was an actress choice or if this is exactly how they wrote this scene, but if it was an actress choice, I don't go for it at all. I don't like the way that she did this. 
it seemed like she tried to get kind of masculine the way she like flopped down onto the couch and started like gobbling the chips like I don't know some man on like tailgate day like she was just like okay all right cool it like this is a little uncomfortable in a second she was gonna like let out one of those long homer burps for like five seconds you know But then throughout the conversation, how then she starts laying down at one point and then like actually puts her head down like someone who's on drugs or something. If I was calling, I'd be like, are you ill? Like what is happening right in this second? The rest of her words and delivery were great. All of her body language and choices to behave like this, I thought were distracting and just made it seem bizarre. If I was forced to have a meeting with a naked person or nearly naked person, I would be off balance the whole time. It would have to be several hours into this naked meeting before I'd be like, okay, you're just naked is all, (laughs) or maybe a subsequent naked meeting. But that first one in the first 10 minutes, and that's all this meeting is. I'd be off balance the entire time. So So then she didn't need to do all that silliness. I mean, that's well, it's almost like she was saying this time that you and I are spending together is not worth my effort to put on a suit, sit upright, upright. sit upright. (laughs) Like that was the part that was like, come on. When she lay down, Paul, come on. That was just, I mean, I get the whole thing about wanting Cullen to be uncomfortable, but if she is this powerful young executive type person, there is zero reason to play the laying down on the couch. Oh, I'm just, oh, is my robe slipping off? Like, are you uncomfortable yet? No, no, no. When she talked strong and she spoke directly to Colin's face and she was like, listen to me, this is what's happening. She was very powerful and very believable. And I felt like, yes, this is how Hale got to be where she is. The rolling on the couch, the chomping of the chips, that was all like, all right, friend. It's like another version of when Man in Black told Lawrence, no one on the outside world would talk to me the way that you are talking to me. It's almost like Colin would have that feeling toward Hale. I mean, Cullen is the boss of that place, with the exception of Ford. Everyone kisses her ass around there. You know, she should be able to have naked meetings whenever she wants. (laughs) And this person is not even getting dressed to conduct a meeting. She has nothing but contempt for you. I'm going to challenge you to find a reason to get horizontal during a meeting in your career and just see if that makes the other person be like, you're a psycho <laughs> or or if they're just like, okay, let's continue to have this conversation. I feel like it was just weird. It was distracting because I wanted to listen to what Hale said. And I did think that her actual message was complex, great, had a lot of information, powerful, everything. But it was like, oh my God, what are these antics? Like we were going to look back. If we did like a parody of it, you'd look back and I'd be doing like a yoga pretzel. And then you'd look <laughs> back at me and I'd be like, like putting my eyes like Groucho Marx, like crazy glasses. It just seemed like over the top. Like she didn't need to add these dramatic moments into the whole thing. It was dramatic what she was saying, you know? And she delivered it in a dramatic way with her voice. Didn't need to have the physical antics. You think a beanbag chair would have would have been enough to, to really say, like, really, I'm not taking you very seriously. Anything, anything. We could have kept clipping back and forth to her. Like the next time she's like on like a Stairmaster, the next time she's feeding her dog out of her mouth with the food. Like she's just, I don't know, I guess trying to act like it's so freaking casual. But this was a really important message that she had to give Cullen. I thought it was particularly jabby to say... I like you, not as a person, but like in this job. Yeah. Ouch. That was particularly biting line. 
You don't get to say stuff like that very often. The whole, whole idea is that she needs to make a point. And the point is that Ford has lost control. And in order to show that, they need a blood sacrifice. And my mind went immediately to Locke telling the group on the island after Boone dies, well, the island demanded a sacrifice. Only J.J. Abrams is the connective tissue there between both shows, and he might not have had anything to do with either scene, but still. The concept that yes. the situation warrants a blood sacrifice. Yes. It's a bit out there. It's, it's a lot. You know? It is a lot. Well, and of course, that's not the only time we hear it. So that is a whole other question mark for me about like what is happening in this scene? Who is being set up in this scene? Is it Cullen? Is Hale actually giving these marching orders? Is Hale actually on the board? I don't know. I am so uncertain at this point about at what point is Cullen getting set up? Yeah, it seems like there's two possibilities here. One is that Hale is who she says she is. And she did come to make changes at the park, and this is her doing it. Or she is one of Ford's Stepford hosts, and from the get-go, even, you know, up above teasing Sizemore and all that, it was all part of Ford's string-pulling masterpiece, you know? Right. And so and she Cullen just where she, she was. She just said the things that Cullen needed to hear to act. Exactly. And I'm willing to go that far back and say that Ford is complex enough. He's all about narratives. All about narratives. He so had Cullen me, waiting for a board member in that meeting that they had at the Hacienda where she says the board will be sending a representative. And he said, oh, she's already here. Didn't you already know? Or they are already here. I'm surprised you didn't know. So she's like looking and then someone comes and says, yeah, I'm with the board. Right. When um, you think about that, it's just like he just like dusted her off in the closet. And was like, <laughs> I was like, right. get out here, you. Right. Yeah. I mean, I. I You're the one that whole... likes chips, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree that it could go as far back as that moment that you're right, that there was we never saw where Cullen actually acknowledged that this person was the board person. It was more like you, like you said, Ford said, oh, this is it. You know, this is this. She's already here and da, da, da. Oh, she is. Oh, okay. Who knows what the hell is actually gone on here? I do think it's that far back. The more we talk about it, every time we've discussed this, I feel like we've backed it off. Like we've been like, at what point did Ford pull the strings? And it's like, every single time we talk, it's like, oh, I think it was there. Oh no, I think it was there. Oh no, I think it's all the way back to whatever. And I think we're going to be probably sheepish looking back at episode 10 and saying, holy crap, we thought it started at hail, like the narrative. Oh my good God. Like it went back so much further. To speak to that, the idea that you'd catch Ford in a purely reactive mode, given what happens this episode, just seems so unlikely that you'd surprise him and he'd be like, oh, I need to make a new plan right now. If this episode is any evidence of his larger game, that's that never going to happen <laughs> without a lot of other outside forces that he can't help. And I don't think what we've seen in this season so far, we've seen those forces. What you're saying, I think, the more we talk about it, the more I'm starting to think he's been proactive this entire time orchestrating something. Here. Well, and especially the next part where they actually go through with this presentation. Hale, as soon as we start this scene, she's like preening herself in the reflection. And Ford makes a comment to her about doing that. She's like fixing her hair. 
And he says something odd to her, like, I thought you were kind of like over that or something. There's something strange about that little something that I'm telling you, like board member to like executive person, there's no reason to comment on her looking at her hair in that moment. You know, Mm -hmm. it was a strange dynamic. That entire presentation, I felt like Ford registered the dramatics of it, but about nothing else. Like he basically just stayed completely stiff still and didn't react. I felt like Cullen was more grossed out by what she saw and she kind of knew it was coming. Yeah. In the first part of the demonstration, when Clementine is, is pretty beat up, she's the one that says, okay, okay, we've had enough. Of, of that you know yeah she can't take it and definitely then the part where they say freeze and both of them freeze including the tech and they say you know by now i'm sure you've realized that you know we've coded this host to act like a human i feel like that was one of those moments too where colin could have just looked in the camera and been like by now by episode seven surely you must realize that there are people here who are hosts that that you thought were human that we've like coded mm-hmm. to make them look human to you and so I hope you're starting to pick up audience that there's going to be more people here. I really am wondering how many people we're going to get to and if it's going to get insane how many. I sure hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't get to that silly level where we're, you know, they're just coming out of the woodwork. Where it's uh, really just Ford. Right. Do you think that there's any chance that Ford himself is is not a human? I would feel a little robbed if he was. If this all started in the 70s, like for reals, right? And this is like in the future, Ford can't be alive unless there's like something else, right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know when they pretend this all started. You know, surely they're saying like 35 years, blah, blah, blah. But mm, I'm I'm still a little wondering. I'm open. I've always been open. However, I definitely felt like I knew I knew where this was heading. So I was really surprised, however, that the presentation and the way that it kind of twisted there where it made Bernie have to feel like Ford completely just left him hanging there. That yeah, was- I was about to ask you, but what did you think of that that moment? Without knowing how the, how the episode ended, all we had was Ford had a chance to say, no, 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 actually I did the, the shitty programming, but he let Bernie hang for it. I have other thoughts about how he is now that I've seen this whole episode, but in that moment I thought, God, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> I thought that he was such an egomaniac that it felt like even when things are his fault, they're not his fault. And so even if that's what his code had actually done, I feel like he wouldn't have taken responsibility in the way that they wanted him to anyway. You know, he he would have had a twist on it in some way. So it wasn't worth him saying anything to these two women at this moment in time because he was mad, you know, mad about this whole thing. Bernie, on the other hand, his loyalty is so high, not just to Ford, but like to the process of what they're doing that I just felt like his heart was on his sleeve and Ford just absolutely just was like, "Mm," like looking the other way, like, ah, too bad about that. If you rewatch that episode, Anthony Hopkins is one of the most capable actors ever, right? And the first time you look at that, you could kind of read a dumbfounded old man. But if you watch it again, with a suspicion that he might be orchestrating the entire thing, or more like he put the dominoes in motion, that look on his face might actually be just like, well, this is playing out in a curious way. Huh. 
it's almost kind of an odd amusement also. I would say you know? that. I would say that there is some part of it that does seem, like you said, a little odd, like, like, huh, like, whoa, I didn't know. But I agree with you. It's almost like he twisted the back of the key on all these dolls and they started moving around. Then they did something funny, like they bumped into each other and you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Right, like they all did a like, high kick at the same time. Yeah, like, mm, and, and you're well. like, oh, geez, you know, that wasn't planned, but it happened and that's funny. But I like set it in motion. I wonder how much that was all planned out by him. I also wonder how many times this scenario had played out because there was some mm-hmm. part of it that felt familiar mm-hmm. and he acted like there was something a little bit familiar about it. And definitely later on, we get more from him that led me to believe this has kind of happened before. There's a lot about this uh, series that reminds me of watching The Matrix. And The Matrix was also built around this idea that there was a cyclical nature to the population of these free-spirited humans, right? And once that population got to be a problem, then they went through this cycle of killing them all and starting over again, right? And the people never knew that, but they just kept living and fighting and doing all that. And, then, and so that when you say like the idea that this had all happened before, if if you buy into the fa- to the idea that Hale is potentially a host and we know that bernie's a host then the only people really that you might have to worry about in that scene because the other the other people would come and go the security people or whatever but cullen is kind of the the only other true variable in the situation and if she's taken out of the the equation at the end of that loop every time, then you could play this out every time, some version of it, that, yeah. that a new kind of quality you know, assurance mouthy person. quality assurance person comes in mm-hmm. that, that you got to start having, you know, send a new one. You <laughs> just kick, the, kick in the, the board of the board member narrative. Right, right. Where they come in and then there's upheaval and whatever. That's how it felt to me. Bernie... They did a great job of setting him up this episode for me because he started off this episode with that terrible memory dream of his son Mm -hmm. and being in the hospital. And they humanized him so very much. It was so effective to have him reading this bedtime story and consoling his son and being encouraging. And there was no part of that that felt anything but like the most human experience any of us can really have, that love and compassion, that feeling of helplessness when someone we love is sick. They pulled all of that out of me. I was in it fully. It even bothered me when the little boy seemed to kind of go unconscious and he was like, dad, dad, listen to me. That urgency that Bernie woke up with I even felt was like a part of his personality that whatever that that boy was calling to him about, it felt very like I have something to tell you. There's something to tell you Mm -hmm. kind of feeling. I felt they did a great job of like setting him up as almost the most human he could possibly have been set up to look like and act like Mm -hmm. for then the end of this episode. Like the bookend of that is like, holy moly, you know? Mm -hmm. So I thought they did amazing What do you think about this idea that his mind seems very overcome with these thoughts of his son, seemingly when Ford needs him to be the most malleable? Meaning like whenever he's challenged Ford in the past, all Ford has to do is be like, I see what you're saying there. 
are you been thinking about Charlie today? Yeah. And it just like immediately launches him somewhere else. So the fact that he woke up this day thinking of his son and thinking of this urgency of having something on his heart and everything. Mm -hmm. Do you think that even that in itself was like a Ford induced yeah, moment okay. to start this day off? Because if he's a part of this larger it sort narrative, of drives his obedience uh, in a way. It does. And I think like sets up that hurt in him that makes him so malleable. It's like his entire clear thinking mind gets so sad and depressed and upset about that. It like distracts him, I feel like. Okay. Yeah. So maybe there would have been things he would have noticed in the presentation and he would have said, y'all, this doesn't look right. What's happening over here? Da, da, da. But he doesn't. And we could think like maybe it's because his brain is like won't let go of these other sun thoughts today. And he just he, like he isn't all there to argue and have all these fights about it. And when you think about it, they haven't shown us dreams that I can recall, but he has complained of bad nights sleep before. Remember that time when Cullen was like, I'm not really interested in your sleeping patterns, Mr. Lowe? Yeah, yeah. Again, knowing the outcome that he is a host and knowing that the sun element has always been this manipulative element for Ford to use. It's sad, right? That he had like sad night sleeps. And so it's like, God, that's really perverse that Ford would like harass him almost, you mm -hmm. know? But in this case, he needed him to be really docile on this day because he needed him to like watch this presentation be taken aback about the firing but like not say anything or do anything you know in my theory of this is just a less ambitious version of arnold that's part of it just kind of taking a licking and being like oh okay and then that's kind of what he did he just left the room and then that's where his programming i guess took over was when he went back to cullen and was like i know you've been stealing the data and starting that whole thing of course the whole point was that he was going to show her something quote unquote i need i really need to show you something and i know that you're doing this with the data but i don't even care because it's not even about that which kind of sucks for elsie because, I mean, it, like she did go off on this whole quest and all we find out about Elsie in this episode is that the system shows she's on leave, which sounds suspect as hell. Right. Like the computer just shows her on vacation right now. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Yikes. So him like writing that whole thing off like, oh, yeah, no, we're not going to do any more investigating of that craziness. It was just like, wow. OK, nice. Poor Elsie. So when you think about all that, it really makes it make a lot of sense, given the way that Ford talked to Cullen back in the Hacienda, that he knew as far back as even then, or maybe even earlier, that she was... She's on her way out. He wants Bernie to act like a human almost all of the time, except for when he's carrying out his orders. And even when he's carrying out his orders, he wants him to still fit in as another human would. So it's almost like... You know uh, how how it can be said about certain people that you have to make it you have to make them think it's their idea, mm -hmm. it, it or like Inception or something like that. It's yeah. it's like that same idea where he needs Bernie to feel that way. Well, and I'm glad that you brought that up because that makes me think about the fact that Bernie happened across Ford's family. How much of that? was one of those like planting it like, oh, I need to give him this thing that he needs to show Cullen. I need to give him this secret that he needs to bring her here to show. And so like how far back was this colonel so that it's his idea 
to come and show her because otherwise that just really worked out really, really well for Ford. Come on, there's no way. So then in that case, even the whole finding of the family and that big moment where he explains everything to Bernie, I feel like that's happened before. Mm -hmm. And that's the secret that he has to tell QA in order to lure them to the basement and have this situation happen. A discussion I was having with Chris, our listener, this week about how it is that Ford just appeared in the in the house. Yes. And we had such like a moment last week where I was like, it just seems like what was he crouching behind the, the wall? Like that seems so goofy. It was all explained, right? Pretty much. All explained to me because Bernie would have never seen that door. Ford was clearly down in the basement when he came in and he just walked up and came through the door. But to our eyes, from Bernie's point of view, he did just like morph out of the wall Mm -hmm. and just was suddenly standing there, which at least I'm really glad that we caught as an audience to say, hang on a second. Why did Ford just pop up out of nowhere? And now that I feel like we see that, I am going to think a lot harder about what point of view are we looking at right now? Mm -hmm. And so therefore, what are we not seeing that may be supposedly like right in front of our faces? Like that door in the house, initially it's gone because I think we're seeing that scene through Bernie's point of view like you would in a novel. So Mm -hmm. you can only experience what they experience. And then it's revealed that the door is there and he still says, what door? So it's revealed that he may be an unreliable narrator. You know what so I mean? So in that moment, though, was that your moment where you're like, oh, shit, Bernie's yes. a host? Yes, Because you know I've been haranguing you this whole time. Yes. And Paul's held out that, like, no, 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 Bernie's real. And so, like, when I was, like, when he said, what door? And everybody's, like, skin started, like, feeling all chicken skinny, like, oh, no, I'm yeah. totally feeling terrible. Well, it really kind of explains when, when they're downstairs and looking through all the stuff, he's able to identify some of the stuff. But you asked, why is he just kind of standing there? And I thought, well, if you think about it, being in this place where so little of it makes sense, it may be literally like seeing empty areas with filled in areas all around you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it would be super disorienting. Yeah. Because so when they came downstairs to the basement, Cullen walks directly over to the equipment and is like, oh my God, what is this? What is this? He explains some of it. But if you watch Bernie's face, he is so confused looking and almost out of it. Like you said, like as if he's seeing only little portions or something. Mm -hmm. And it makes me even wonder like, okay, so I wonder if there's parts that are not able to be seen by us that are able to be seen by him. Because maybe he was even having like a memory of a loop situation where he's been here before or something. Mm -hmm. So it seemed like he was like having a moment, either deja vu or complete confusion. It looked like last week or the week before when Maeve was shown the iPad that showed her deci- her language, decision-making, idiomatic, whatever patterns, and it blew her mind to the point where she needed to reset for a few minutes. It looked like Bernie was, his needle was right up to the barrier he there. He was heading that direction, <laughs> yes. right. So when Cullen starts looking through those designs and she's her face just goes blank, which I give this actress a lot of credit we just actually saw her in um inferno Inferno. and i thought she did a great job there but i wonder if all the actors and actresses are starting to take a page from anthony hopkins um book in that their subtlety of their face and their responses 
were so well done in this episode. Maybe that's why Hale's ridiculousness really stood out because there was so much to be seen on Cullen's face throughout this entire scene where she didn't have to voice everything. The widening of her eyes or the crinkle of her brow or whatever was enough to be like, holy crap, she's starting to get this. Even with us not seeing the paper, just seeing her facial response, which wasn't dramatic at all. We knew she had seen the Bernie model. Yes, we knew what she had seen and it was like, oh God. Do you recall the sheet? Did it say Bernard on it? You know, I never saw the corner and I feel like they did go through the trouble of showing us that at the bottom it said Dolores on Uh the other one. And I did try to look. Her hand was in a way that I felt like it was covering that section. And so I feel like that could still come up because you're right. If it said Arnold, then we would really know. I don't think I've spilled the beans on the podcast yet about my uh, theory on Arnold's last name. Oh, go ahead. This is out there for the rest of the world because I don't think anyone else has said it, but I think these kind of stories, it's cool when they use anagrams. And uh, Bernard Lowe would be an anagram for Arnold Weber. So I'm going to go with Weber as Arnold's last name. Okay. Have they never said Arnold's last name? Not so far. Oh, I did not catch that at all. Yeah. So, okay. Cool. Interesting. I knew I had seen people say that it was an anagram for Arnold with Bernard Lowe, but I didn't see that Weber was totally a guess. That's my guess. I've never read that anywhere else. Oh, really? Yes. Well, there's a lot of people out there guessing Weber then because definitely it's out there. But I feel like the idea that it is some play on words is awesome and fun. And hopefully whoever put that kind of stuff out there, it was totally viewer driven and not HBO putting it out. Well, what it also says to me as a viewer is that if you pay attention to this show, you won't be cheated. And you will be rewarded because we're telling you enough to make it fun so that you can guess as you go along and not like we are going to just make up some shit at the last second that you never saw coming. And that's going to be the resolution of this whole thing. I totally agree. Like, I like how they have told us the rules that hosts can't see things that could hurt them. And yet it was that rule that was set up very definitively to us that helped us realize that Bernie was the host. Mm -hmm. And that's fun. That's fun when you're like applying their own rules to it. And you're like, oh my God, wait, I get it. I get it. That's great. So when Ford just pops up again at the bottom of the stairs and starts talking to Cullen, they give me like the heebie-jeebies. And in that moment when he's like, well, we don't let them see things that could hurt them. When you realize that Bernard is having to realize that he is a host. It's heartbreaking. Oh, my God. When he's like, no, 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 no. My son, my wife, my Oh, my God, it, it is heart wrenching. Like, I feel like they're just you're watching this person going through this torturous moment. Can you even imagine? Can we even wrap our brain around that? Ford is exposed for being a, a monstrous personality. But if you think about it, he didn't have to make the hosts have to experience emotions to that extent. You know what I mean? But he did. So he made it so that they could suffer. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that was a strange thing because he makes that comment about how like the burden of consciousness and he's lifted that burden of guilt and all that stuff from them. But what is he talking about? 
Teddy's whole motivation is guilt and <laughs> sadness and all this stuff. Like, I do not agree at all that these hosts are without all these really negative feelings. None of them are bouncing around. Clem's whole backstory is that her family's dying and starving and she has to send all <laughs> right. her money by being a whore and stuff. Like, I'm sorry. They're trying to farm the desert. <laughs> who's not suffering in these stories? Like, you didn't make them happy-go-lucky hosts. Right. You made them struggling people. Maeve relives a scalping every night. Yeah, but nobody goes through <laughs> any type of sadness or guilt or whatever. I definitely think that the key to those feelings, though, what I'm picking up on is those are the feelings that are allowing anyone to manipulate you. Anyone. Hmm. So hmm, okay. if we're looking at like the big scheme of things, here's what I'm learning from this episode. Love is an amazing, powerful source of motivation. Sadness, grief for Bernie, an amazing motivation that'll let you overlook so many things. You don't even see what's happening in front of your face, you know, and you've just missed it. For Cullen, we never really got her true backstory. She didn't follow my reality TV rules where we didn't at the last minute have her yell out like, but I have a child and da da da. Like we never got her story. So we don't know anything about Cullen. But she's driven to be like a perfectionist in some ways is what I would feel, which is what you want in quality assurance. My God, we'll never probably know what her motivation was. But I definitely feel like the idea of starting to understand how motivated humans and robots are by manipulating other people's emotions and how you can just be like, are you thinking about Charlie today? And you just launched that person off in a whole nother way how powerful thoughts are, how powerful our emotions are. I get it. If, they, if that's part of the story at all that they're trying to share with me, I am feeling that because it it is overwhelmingly driving all of our stories right now. Mm -hmm. Do you think that Ford had to throw together this plot to kill Cullen? Or do you think it was orchestrated from a while ago and he just needed to kind of pull a string here and a string there to get her killed right now, but the whole time she was in danger? When he says the comment to her, there's been others before you mm -hmm. in terms of like coming in and trying to like cause this upheaval and all this stuff, I think this whole thing has played out before. It may not have been exactly the presentation with Clementine and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't have to be exactly that type of thing. But the idea of having Bernie find the family, him have to go secretly go tell QA and bring her to the cabin and or him or whatever, whoever it is. That scenario seems like it happened before. It mm. feels very realistic, like, yeah, yeah. What's the best way to get QA's interest? I found something that's off the map. Uh. And I've got to show you it. And you're like, what? Mm -hmm. You know, and maybe the, maybe the rule of thumb is the narrative doesn't go into play until they fire you. And then, like, click. That's when it goes. But the setup is the part that I still am very, very, very interested to know how far back the setup went. If it went all the way back to Sizemore and all that business, or if it was less than that. What makes what you're saying really resonate with me is the way that they've put all this together, since we are now multiple timeline believers, that you can think that the show is actually all happening concurrently, is that the same kind of events happened with whatever's happening with William Logan and, and Dolores in the past, okay? So 
Dolores, though, was the only one feeling that that need to go outside of her loop. You know, she's the Maeve of yesteryear. Yeah. And Bernie says as much that that when you have repetition over and over and over again, it introduces um, variation. Right. And so that's her living out that variation. And uh, so that does speak to the idea that this has happened before. And, and the reason that the two timelines can mesh together and make you think that it's all happening all at once is because what happened before is happening now. So the two loops are kind of coinciding. You know what I mean? That makes sense to me. If Dolores and William are now currently in a part of the world that nobody comes back from and Maeve is now saying, I'm going to take my leave or whatever. Are we kind of at the same edges of the story, like you're saying? It could be. If Dolores and Maeve are playing similar roles. It could be. I mean, if Maeve is trying to get away and she finds the border and gets creamed, what if this territorial land is the same thing? It's the edge of Truman show and they go up to it and the same failsafe that's going to theoretically catch Maeve catches Dolores. I think that there's a fair shot because we know that Dolores is like right on the edge of seemingly going to play out that whole other town shootout, everything that these flashbacks are. That seems to be what's left of our story mm-hmm. that she's been flashbacking to. Yeah. I mean, we could see these women, one more modern, one back in the day, experience a similar moment. Success or demise, we don't know, right? Well, but- then that, that doesn't answer for present day Dolores that is experiencing her own, you know, renaissance. They didn't show her this past episode. They showed the, the Dolores that's with William, but not the Dolores that has the gun and is off on an adventure by herself. Freaky. That one still is like, la, 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 la. so then really there's more than two, right? Are you going with more than two timelines? The Dolores that freed Maeve's mind, that's the one that's off on her own adventure right now. And then there's past Dolores, and then there's potentially Dolores in the diagnostic room answering questions with Arnold. Those are the whole different. Yeah, that's potentially even earlier than. Because that's the third, right? Um, so I've got this feeling that there's like this the 35-year one, the 30-year one, and the modern one. Yeah. So there, that there's actually three minimum. I'm thinking, that's, I'm thinking that's right. I'm going with minimum too because I don't know that we've caught every dangling string on that, but I feel like you could figure every scene into one of those three. Mm-hmm. I was really shocked at how this final moments for Cullen ended. I did not see... She was trying to poke forward in the chest until the last second before she realized I am in actual life or death situation here. I cannot even wrap my brain around how any woman, any woman, I'm being serious about this. And I, you, you can speak for men, okay, but I'm going to speak for a woman's intuition. I don't know how you get yourself into uncharted territory in an uncharted house into a basement with like no windows, no doors. And you're not thinking to get your cell phone out a lot freaking quicker than she did. And you're with your boyfriend that you dumped. <laughs> yeah. And, and just fired. Right. And just fired. Be clear on that. When Ford actually comes in on the scene and she still doesn't get her phone out and she still doesn't try to make her way, like start shifting towards the stairs, you know, right. where you can kind of do like a little dance with him to try to get to the other side of the room. 
I don't get why she stayed as stubborn as she did for as long as she did just from a gut instinct of like, I don't see this going anywhere good. Do I really foresee that at some point Ford's going to go, you know, Teresa, you're right. I have been a jerk. Let's ride the elevator back together. Let's go have a snack. I'll resign. You get promoted. Right. Like, is that what the hell she thinks is going to happen? Let's go to Hale's room. I hear she's fun. (laughs) (laughs) She has the chips. Right. Exactly. Hale's throwing a rager tonight. Think it's going to be rad. I don't see where such a smart woman would have been caught so flat footed. Not that she would have thought that this is what would have gone down because I did not expect Bernie to kill bot to do a (laughs) kung fu panda on her. Okay, I did not expect that. But I really felt like that did not ring true enough to me. She should have been scared her sooner and she should have been a little at least made some attempt to get away or come to Jesus was 10 seconds too late. (laughs) Min, you know. So I am also of the mind that Ford had gotten a head start on his 3D printer, making a a more compliant Cullen. <laughs> a kinder, softer Cullen. Yeah. And- no, 100%. Yes. I think that that machine was already zip, zip, zipping a Cullen away. Yeah. <laughs> like you want to be like, hey, you want to see something? It would have been kind of amazing if right before he had Bernie do it, if he was like, hey, check this out. That's your beating heart. Like, you know, like, oh. <laughs> Like, can you imagine? That's a horror movie moment, right? Is well, for, it's, to uh, have the guy show you yourself. Oh my God. What if all you had to do is like open a wardrobe and there's like her clothes in there or something and be like, I picked out an outfit for the next one. Like anything. He could have said a bunch of creepy shit right in here. Yeah. Offered her some lotion. That it's like been it's enough. borrowed from uh, Stepford Wives or or uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I never saw it either, and I and I'm kind of glad because it seems like a lot of stories are sort of borrowing from that. So I'm kind of glad that I haven't seen it. But they could have twisted the crazy knob here even more. There could have been a real psycho like nah, I'm wearing my mother's dress kind of moment here. Well, if you didn't get. Just a just a whiff of Hannibal Lecter in that scene. Mm, oh my God, that's all I felt. That's why I say the lotion. Like I just, I really felt like there was <laughs> like gonna be a moment where he was gonna put the lotion in the basket. Exactly, exactly. It had to feel ugh, really gross. So Bernie does the deed, and man, is he a dapper man! Like heading back out, and he just right. like puts his tie back on, and he's like. Turns on his heel like, adios, right. bichacho. Who's going to clean up the corpse? I mean, this is, I would imagine, kind of a small operation with the with Ford's, you know, wheelings and dealings. But who knows? You know, we wondered what his family does all day. Maybe they dismember and, and like, right. you know, burn up bodies and... I think the dad's like, oh, what's this, boy? <laughs> exactly. Not another one. Get down here. Yeah, and they have to, like, clean it up or something. Boy, there's a corpse. <laughs> exactly oh my god we didn't see the mom that much maybe she was down there you know they make like all kinds of weird bone jewelry maybe they like do that (laughs) so okay Okay. so getting back to the idea of like has this happened before the way that he was completely calm about like her body being there and the entire scenario i do feel like he's been replacing people so now we have a real job of like looking back and again thinking like who has he replaced 
who's new? Is it possible that he even gave Hale that body and that that is her consciousness in it, but that's a brand new body for her. And maybe that's why she was preening in her reflection, like check my shit out now. Well, that's I'm a- like this young body and I look so hot. Maybe because when he says the board's not going to bust this up because of the arrangement I have with them. Maybe they're coming in these old biddies and they're returning these hot ass 20 year olds. That is, raises a good question because they bring up a couple of times that there's something larger at play here, that there's a little research project that that's going on. And that makes you wonder what is the research project. And I'm thinking if we're dealing with these highly able robots that mimic the human body in almost every way, except for the way the mind works, in that same article, the Nolan said something about the brain in the host works a little different and it doesn't experience brain death the same way ours does. So that's why they can reset is that their brain just doesn't die after a couple of minutes of not breathing. Okay. Okay. So I'm tending to lean towards what they call in speculative fiction, something like transhumanism, which is your consciousness being able to be transferred out of your body, presumably to a machine. And that would really jibe pretty well with what we're seeing here. If, if they're trying to get these robots to the peak of human simulation, then the next step would be moving humans into those bodies. Yeah, because if they explained that disease and all these different forms, I assume famine and all these different things had been cured in the real world, then if people are living forever... Our physical tissue, our quote unquote human host bodies, they're not made to live forever. They wear out. Good Lord. We're, Paul and I are just on the verge of turning 40 and we could tell you bodies are already wearing they're out. Wearing out. Yeah. So if disease and stuff doesn't get you, then just the decay of like your own skin or your eyes or anything. Now, I know that they can fix a lot of stuff. You know, maybe it can do preventative stuff, but just wear and tear seems like, you know what we need? Synthetic freaking bodies. And then now we're really going off to infinity and beyond here, right? We Mm -hmm. can just keep going because we don't have that pesky, organic, falling apart skin and organs and everything because those aren't, they they cannot last for hundreds of years, you know? Mm -hmm. No matter if we keep cancer and stuff away, it just seems like they're just going to wear out at some point. So to me, they set us up with that, with the disease is cured, people are living. Well, what's got to be their real world problem? What is the thing they got to be solving? It's interesting that Bernard slash maybe Arnold is the only one that talks about having a son. If they go with this transhuman route, the next thing that follows is people just stop having kids. There's no reason to have kids if you live forever. It would just be more like recreation at that point to have kids because... You live forever. You don't need to perpetuate the species you're anymore. Adorable. It seems like you're really exposing the reason for children over there. Mm. I get it. Like reproductively, you've got to make the next generation. But I'll say for me, I always wanted to be a mom. I wanted to be a mom. That's where I feel like my personality actually was. So for me, like I wanted to have kids, not because I wanted to replace myself on the planet. I never even thought about that. But I really thought about just the idea of, you know, nurturing and and growing and developing a small little guy and helping them, supporting them to be their own little being. Like for me, that was my goal. So I'm not saying that goes away, but I'm saying that that that, that urgency changes. 
You're very, very. If you right. can play that out over a thousand years, you don't have to do it in the first twenty. You know. Absolutely, you don't have to do it in the first hundred, right? <laughs> right. For sure, for sure. And like you said, and we've seen in other shows, the idea of not naturally having babies in the wild, if you will, like with actual moms and dads, but instead there being some sort of reproductive center where babies are going to actually come from, you know, and they're actually being produced, you know, mm -hmm. via science and not like actual bodies mating. That's a whole nother way that the population continues. That is a lot mm. less, a lot, it answers your question about how do we repopulate and, and not that kind of side of what I'm talking about, that mm -hmm. nurturing part of humans. I feel like we saw a lot of amazing things in this episode and I'm really drawn into everybody's stories. I feel like every episode has led me to another moment of anticipation. Like I really can't wait to see where Maeve's going to go. Now I'm really starting to wonder how long is it going to take before William starts to realize that she doesn't love him. Like, What made this, her. for me, probably the best episode so far was there were only a couple of major events. Maeve, mm -hmm. Maeve wants to leave, and Bernie finds out he's a host, and Colin gets killed. Three things. And so they had to balance that out with a lot of action. <laughs> you know, they couldn't spill more than that in one episode, so they gave us a pretty, pretty good action scene, you know, and that took up the whole hour. And I felt way satisfied at the end of that hour. I did too, much like William with Dolores, right? <laughs> right. It was my key. <laughs> nice. So we can't wait for you guys to watch the next episode with us and listen to the next podcast. Catch us at dailyreview.com on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. We are always looking for new listeners and even reviews and ratings on places like iTunes or wherever it is you catch our podcast. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks. <laughs>